Hi, I'm Ben Richardson, and you're listening to the Karate Podcast, where we talk about karate, the competitive sport of Kumite, and the warrior's journey. Brought to you in association with Kumite Coach, the world's first progressive online high-definition coaching platform, created by coaches and fighters for coaches, fighters, and students of karate. Join KumiteCoach.com today and take your karate to the next level. Hey guys, welcome to the Karate Podcast. Today we've got a great guest, Lauren Salisbury, who is junior Olympic bronze medalist. She's also the British champion, national champion, and part of the EKF team. Uh, So Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for being on with us. It's fantastic to have you here. Absolute pleasure. Um, so as always, we just like to start the cast, just find out how uh, people get into our great sport. So could you tell us a little bit about what got you started in karate and uh, where things kind of went for you from there? So my dad started karate when I was younger and I used to just go along with him on a Sunday to watch. So at the age of five, I started karate. And then my older sister believed it was a boys' school until she started coming down. And she ended up joining in, and then my younger sister. So it's sort of become a family thing. Yeah. And then we, sort of, we weren't on the part of the EKF as part of a different association. And we was winning, and it was just sort of... Then we found out Crichton was going Olympic. So you sort of my dad looked into it and found, like, an EKF club. So at the age of 10, I was sort of overlapping, doing the both, and then we decided to move. Yeah. And they're like the, then our intentions were then England squad and British squad. Uh, and then you see like what an actual like championships is like. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So that's when they're sort of, you sort of see a big difference. Like you go to a club and you're like from the best to like the worst again. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we got into it. Okay, and cool. then when we was younger, obviously we did cataract fighting. Yeah. So we got to I think about 12 or 13. And that's when I decided, well, when I was younger, I only ever won cata and I never won fighting. Oh, really? And then, yeah, my older sister won the fighting and I won the cata. And then it's sort of about 12, 13, I started to win the fighting a bit more. And that's when I decided to give up the cata. Right. Yeah, so that's our side. Fantastic. And um, I was looking at your a couple of your bios online. You obviously you were quite successful kind of off the bat with your com- competitions. Um, but was was there a particular point where you decided, you know, I'm, I'm obviously getting good at this. I'm going to dedicate myself to the sport. Was there a particular point that pushed you that way? Uh, from the age of... 13 so when Willie Thomas was national coach me and Charlotte Hope were training with him at some of his courses Mm -hmm. and the selection for the Indonesia world was coming up and we were both 13 so obviously had to be 14 to get selected so he was watching us at European uh, uh, national championship sorry and asked us how if we'd be 14 for the championships which we both were so he asked us to then start going to training. Yeah. 
it was at that point sort of that's when the intention changed to try to get selected and try to get on the squad. Yeah. From about 15, it was completely different, yeah. Wow. So that's, that's really young to be, you know, straight at that, that high level so quickly. So have, have your goals changed, you know, in, in the last few years from when you first got on the, the team and squad? Have they changed over time with focus or have they always been the same for you? I guess it's always been the same. So my first Europeans, I placed seventh. Mm-hmm. And that's just sort of when I was a cadet, like started building points as such. But I only got selected the second year, so I only had one competition as a cadet. And then by the time the World Championships come around in Tenerife, I turned 16 the week before. So I went straight as a junior for my first competition. And then whilst we was out there, the whole format of the competition got changed because it then become the first Olympic qualifier. Right. So everything changed while we was out there. The days we were competing, it become like a spotlight day on the juniors. Obviously, it was my first even competition being 16. Yeah. So that was a complete different there. And from the moment, obviously, the Olympics was a possibility. Mm. I remember everyone was going to me, you're not going to get there. You're not going to get to the Olympics. And I'd be like, no, I just like even said to mum, no, I'm going. She'd be like, no, you're not. You're lying. I'd be like, no, I'm going, mum. <laughs> that completely changed from there, yeah. It's amazing. And um, who who in that time period was your kind of biggest influence in terms of um, fighters around you? Were the people you were looking up to that inspired you or were you more kind of focused just on improving your own game? The moment I got on the squad, it was like me and Charlotte Hope side by side. Mm-hmm. And we were the same age. And obviously she started, like she won at, I'm just trying to think, I think she got bronze at the World Championships and then the following European Championship she won. And it was sort of, I was always her like warm-up partner. We was always the same age, so we warmed up with each other. Yeah. And obviously she qualified for the Olympics. So then it was sort of like I wanted to do the same because I knew like my rank, and obviously we're different categories. So we were fortunate we was always separate. Yeah. But then it um, that, that was my aim as well to get there and then it was like it was a nice thing once we both did it together because we were both like both used to each other yeah so it's like we had like the perfect warm-up partner and all that together so that was quite nice so I guess it sort of just drove us both on yeah. to get there going through the same thing excellent and and what about coaches that have been around you if they changed over the the past few years have you had the same influences yeah so my coaches have changed pretty recently obviously national coach wise it was Davin and Paul yeah and obviously they come in for my first world uh, European championship so from there until the Olympics I was with them and then even the Europeans after but obviously Davin was my like coach that took us to the Olympics. Yeah. Quite a good working relationship with Davin. Like he usually coached me. And then when we went to the Olympic qualifiers, I had him on both days and then I had him at the Olympics. It was quite a nice bond that we built up between yeah. athlete and coach. Sort of always knew what I needed. 
and things like that. Like I had a certain speech that I listened to before I compete. Right. And my first Olympic qualifiers, we couldn't get a hold of it. It like deleted itself off my phone completely and I didn't win my first round. So like the next day he made sure he had it on his phone and I had it just in case anything went wrong. So that was quite nice, yeah. Yeah, great. And um, so I guess you must have had some sort of input from sports science if you're using, you know, a track to listen to, a speech to listen to. Do you have, was that part of your pre-performance routine for competition? I've always been a bit, I've done like obviously GCSEPE and things like that. I've never taken that any further, but I've always been sort of in a routine that I wear the same thing. My hairstyle has been the same for years, every single time I compete. Mm -hmm. And obviously then I sort of just got into a routine of the same playlist, the same thing. And I sort of go to a competition knowing that I have to have listened to it. Yeah. Or I'll get myself a bit worked up, like I haven't listened to it. Am I going to fight well? <laughs> yeah. I think it's very yeah. important that a lot of athletes have that same, you know, the same thing as, as you do there, that routine they have to go to go through. I know as, as a fighter, when I was competing, you know, I had a certain playlist I listened to, I had a certain kind of routine I had in terms of my goals and things like that. Um, what about your nutrition side of things? Have you paid much attention to that over the years? Or are you really, just kind of... float between the weights. So as a cadet, I was in the plus 54. And once I was junior, I was plus 59. But I've always been the lightest of the heavyweight division because obviously for a, it's not particularly heavy. So I was going to, I think my first world championships were called plus 59. It was in Tenerife and it was sweating. And before we even weighed in, you had to queue up on a staircase, which was under a glass window. So obviously people putting weight who were like, trying to like just loving it and then I think I was under my weight right. so I might have been about 57 and a half in the morning so I had my sister and my boyfriend bringing me like croissants water like I just down it and like, that's always been me and like, especially even at the Olympics I was under my weight and I felt ill while I was out there as well so yeah. I lost a lot of weight yeah. so I had to gain she like the Danish girl in that category she weighed like 72, 73 kilos. And she was always the person to step on the scales in front of me. And then I'd be like the little light one behind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, other than that, I haven't really focused on like nutrition. I, I'm the way I am and I wouldn't change that really. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, with regard to your um, achievements then, we've we mentioned that you've been national champion, uh, British champion, uh, you know, you've been to the Junior Olympics, you've had a huge achievement with the bronze medal. Could you, could you tell us, is, is that, is that the thing that stands out in your mind the most as, as like the best feeling or do some of those smaller comments? A big win but a couple of months after we went out to Venice for the youth league the world youth league and everyone seemed to that had fought well at the youth olympics either went out first round or something because you train so much on one event then have a big event thrown straight after that yeah. was quite hard I had seven fights out there and got bronze so that was in some ways, I look because I had more fights for the medal, 
that that was a bigger achievement or on the same level. Yeah. But I think to have two consistent medals in a row, that I think that was my biggest achievement having the both. Yeah, it's fantastic. And seven fights is a lot. Yeah. How did you feel on that particular day? Was it were things just going well for you from the start, or did you have to kind of do anything differently to it was a lot of pressure because people suddenly knew who you were a little bit because it had been all about the youth olympics especially people in your category in the warm-up area you sort of become watched how you're warming up and yeah i never look at my draw so not once in a competition do i know who i'm fighting until i step on the mat but that competition become a bit harder because people that were fighting you sort of put themselves near you and things like that that it become a bit obvious it was a bit different competition wise yeah yeah and how do you how do you respond to that when you step on the mat and you see the person in front of you does it matter who that person is ever or do you just go with I mean, it unless i sort of know who they are hmm. or like oh, i think they've got a reputation then not as such it wouldn't affect me Unless, obviously, if you've fought someone before and you've lost against them, then that's the sort of different mindset to fighting someone you don't know. But with that being like such a big competition and so many people and off the back of a big championship, we were sort of filtered throughout. Yeah. So I didn't really come up against anyone I particularly knew. That was, I guess, good on my behalf, but yeah. Right. And... Do you, do you use any sort of, um, so if you're preparing for those fights, you're not going to look at the draw. Do you have um, an image in your head? Do you, do you visualize what's going to happen or are you focused just on getting through the first fight? Do you like to look, kind of think about where you want to end up in the competition? How do you approach that as a fighter? I never think about what I'm going to get. I just take each fight as a round. Yeah. I never go competition thinking right I want to have five fights and then I want to be in a middle round yeah I take fight as it comes because I guess things can be thrown at you and obviously with record charge you can have someone really good early on and then that's like a whole new competition yeah absolutely so we just got to kind of think every round is its own round rather than thinking of the end goal obviously you want to go into a competition you have to tell yourself right I'm going to win yeah but you don't know how many fights you're going to have and you don't know who you're going to come against hmm. So each round on its own, really. And how do you respond to, um, you know, when you know the fighter in front of you versus an unknown fighter? Do you, do you have a different mindset when you've, you know, obviously seen who you're going to step on the mat with? Do things change for you at that point at all? Definitely, yeah. Once you've fought someone and even if you've beat them before, it's even, they know how you fight. So you have to try and be clever with how you fight them. Even if you've lost to them, they still know how you fight and they know how they beat you. So it's a, you've got to fight them completely different to how you beat them before. Right. So I'm more of a counter-attacker than an attacker. So I try to get people to fight how I want to fight, but you obviously get people that are in different stances and the high level they all want the same that you to fall into their style of fighting yeah. so that's when it becomes harder to be able to like fight your own fight it's then more of a high level fight because you both are after the same thing yeah 
And how, how much uh, do you allow the coach to play a role in your, your fights? Do you actively look for guidance from them or do you just kind of get on with it and then they... I always say, I can't hear my coach unless I need my coach. Right. So it's sort of like tunnel vision. Yeah. And once you need them, like, then I can hear them. Otherwise, like, people would say to me, did you hear me say this? And I'd be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Just put my fire until I could hear you. Yeah. So you've, um, you know, you've done so much. You're only 19 years old, uh, but you've really, you know, covered a huge range of competition in your karate career already. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what, I mean, how did you cope with basically the last 12 months because it's almost you know we're sort of 10 months into no competition now aren't we and so for me obviously I turned 18 last October so obviously I went into the under 21s but I went into the seniors as well so I was fortunate enough to get into the top I think I was placed 50 something when I transferred points over so I managed to compete in the K1 in Paris last year so obviously last year was going to be like my year getting into the points and we had to do the big events. So obviously I had Paris, which was a big taster. And then I had the junior Europeans. And then that was like sort of, okay, now you've got no more this year. And it's all the first years, like sort of as you turn 18, by the time you hit 19, you've got the experience. So it sort of delayed that a year of feeling out the competitions. Yeah. And how did you find it in terms of motivation? Obviously, for me, I was in my last year of A-levels as well. So had my exams cancelled. Had, obviously, no training. So it was sort of like a big shock all at once because nothing yeah. was happening. Yeah. So I started, I like found myself a part-time job and everything like that because I couldn't just sit at home because I didn't know what I was going to be doing. Yeah. So on that side, obviously, then training online. It's not been too bad because, obviously, I've got my sister, so we train with each other. And obviously we have the gyms, so we can go treadmill and things like that to train. So that's when you like sort of appreciate and you can think, oh, people that are on their own, what are they going to be doing? Yeah. But we've had quite a good like setup of online lessons and things to keep us getting through. Great. Um, so as a, what, could you run us through like a typical training week for you in terms of how often you you train them it can be in a regular season it doesn't have to be COVID-19 <laughs> not during <Yeah>. COVID <laughs> but just well, see, now I've like I recently moved clubs so I'm now WIKF so since moving to here when we're more like like we've done our black belts previous before we joined the EKF but now we're sort of driven by getting our EKF black belt as well because I want to coach mm-hmm. and obviously you can't do that now until you've got a black belt yeah so we're grading throws so we're at our first queues ready to take up black belts hopefully later on this year next year so that's been a big thing so we do traditional twice twice a week three times a week at the moment because we can do sort of more online yeah. and three times a week that with the club and then obviously joe kelloway usually does a session on fridays when he's down so we usually train with him and just on the evenings that we haven't got training, we're down here training. So just trying to make the most of what we've got, really. Yeah, because I think a lot of a lot of uh, young fighters will look at people like yourself 
and you know want to achieve the same level of success but it comes down to what you put into it doesn't it yeah definitely it's like obviously like even now of an evening I think I've just started a job up London so it's like getting in and then finding the motivation to train once you've got in from a like a cold day of traveling so that's sort of now a new challenge in itself but even from school like you had to come in from school you knew you had to train or you knew you had to come in from school go for a run have your dinner then go to training like sometimes don't get from training until half 10 straight to bed up for school the next morning and I didn't even go to school local so I was on the bus at like seven o'clock in the morning yeah so full time yeah and um with uh with your training and obviously do a lot of travel um who who are the people that have you know made this happen for you who's who's supporting you in the background my mum's the biggest supporter behind us like financial wise paying for trips obviously i get to travel with my sisters and travel the club and like my boyfriend does karate as well so that's quite handy like we travel a lot but I guess it's quite a family thing so it makes it quite enjoyable like extending your trips to do a bit of sightseeing and all that it's all part of enjoying what you're doing yeah so like I'd say my mum like financially supported a lot obviously while I'm at school I wouldn't be able to support anything that I've done and obviously everything's been self-funded so even down to like my Olympic qualifiers had to pay for ourselves. Yeah. So and is, it, yeah. Is, that, is that one of the biggest challenges for you as a fighter who wants to compete with the best in the world? Yeah, financially obviously it's not just one person, it's at one point it's the three of us all selecting and knowing that obviously England trips aren't exactly cheap. So it could be like three of you going for selections and thinking, oh, but how much is that going to cost at the end? Let alone, obviously, if three of us were selected, mum would want to go out there to watch. Yeah. And that, so that is the biggest thing. Yeah. So as a, a junior Olympian, um, what, are your, what are your goals now? Um, you've been a British champion. Does it reset now you're moving into the seniors? Do, when you're a senior what you've done as a junior doesn't really count anymore no one thinks oh she did that when she was a junior so obviously i'm in a position fortunately where like i can compete at like the premier leagues and things like that so now it's just even getting through one round getting through two rounds and sort of building gradually so like obviously you can't say straight away once you turn a senior i'm going to win the senior europeans or things like that obviously it'd be a dream yeah but just like to set your goal to be able to get through like one round, two round, each competition to start placing and things. That's, that's the goal. And then to eventually move on, obviously now my intentions are to set for under 21 and senior Europeans and worlds, which obviously comes double the cost, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's the aim now. And what about the more, more on the domestic circuit? What, do you have any goals for the domestic circuit itself? I guess as such over in England, yeah. yeah. I guess obviously now you have the senior of the weight that you have to be as well. So 
obviously mine would be senior minus 68. So it's me and Kate Kaminsky going for the position. So luckily me and Kate have trained a lot together over the past years and she come out to the Olympic qualifiers with me and she was that sort of like the athlete liaison over there. So she was there when that happened. Mm. So we've got quite a good relationship with each other, I'd say. So that is just the new, like, now it's been a position like I'm 18 and we've not even fought at one competition. So now that's the, I guess you've got to fight each other first before you know what's going to happen. And we haven't even had that yeah. to fight. So that's the yeah. new aim. Yeah. Um, and then with regard to your, your preparation for tournaments, does that change depending on the size of the tournament or do you just always prepare in the same way heading towards yeah. competition? Obviously, well, in England, you know standard who you're going to be competing and a little bit more you can prepare for your competitors. Whereas when you're going abroad, you don't know who you're going to fight. Yeah. So it's completely different, I'd say, like even like the amount of times you run, the amount of times you train, how you train is all completely different. Great. Um, and uh, do you have any um, hopes for British karate over the next couple of years? Well, I hope it gets recognised a little bit more yeah. and people start recognising what we do and as such that people sort of recognize the hard work that we put in and it's just not a sideline sport that's making an olympic debut for once one yeah. time and people actually acknowledge the sport for what it is so i'm hoping obviously british karate can obviously pull together a little bit more and create like a team where we train as britain as such rather than just england scotland because there are relationships already like people that get along with each other so it's just pulling us all together to create a better team, I guess. Yeah, yeah. and um, obviously the Olympics is now this year, maybe, hopefully, um, or go ahead this year. Um, is there anything? Obviously, the kimite is going to be the thing you're watching. Have you have you got interest in that at a personal level, other than just watching it as a spectator? How did you feel about? the uh, announcement that it wouldn't be in 2024 as well so obviously once it was in 2020 that was like the biggest thing that's ever happened for cry and i remember the day that it happened i think from the british before we all had our like let's go tokyo tops or something so I remember on the day we all having pictures and things in those so obviously that was quite an exciting time that that was going to happen but I guess obviously then it was a downside when they said 2024 because that was more realistic for myself. Yeah. So that's like a downside. So I'm hoping that that gets looked into because that's like a big driving force of even a lot of the youngsters coming up, that that's what they were all aiming for, like my age. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, so that's... Have... Yeah, sorry. I was going to say, I, th I think, you know, as, as someone who's taught karate for, uh, you know, 15 years now, I see the, the difference in support you get for an Olympic sport versus a non-Olympic sport. It, it, it is huge. Um, and I, I've said this in the last podcast, but it's strange to me to take karate out before people have actually got to see it 
in this they might watch it in this olympics and go man that's the best thing we've but ever seen france holding the olympics when france themselves have such a good team yeah they're great inside of it that they themselves could do well out of the event yeah strange okay uh, lauren thanks so much for talking to us today it's been really nice to hear uh your journey this thus far love to get you back um after we've had a season uh you know to talk about and see how you got on with various competitions that would be great just to catch up with you so thanks for your time and i wish you all the best for your training and your future success thank you